You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Hello there, I'm Ollie Southgate, and from the Broadway Podcast Network, this is Putting It Together, where on the first Friday of each month, I sit down with Broadway's best business minds to talk about the state of the art and their role in keeping the world's biggest theatre town at the top of the list. On this month's show... I thought of Broadway as a big brand made up of big companies. And what I've learned is it's actually primarily made up of a lot of small entrepreneurial businesses with people who have a passion for theater unlike any other passion I've ever seen. I'm talking to Charlotte St. Martin, president of the Broadway League, about her career to date and the role of the League in the ecosystem of the American theater, both in business as usual times and in these very different ones. I have never seen a time in which our industry has been so coalesced around one idea. And that idea is that we have to change and we will change. We talk about her unique transition from the hospitality industry to one of the most senior appointments in the theatre industry worldwide and what she's doing to ensure that Broadway not only survives the pandemic, but thrives once more on the other side of it. Broadway is responsible for 97,000 jobs. And until we get our productions back in the theatre, all of those jobs won't be back. So let's find out how Charlotte St. Martin puts it all together. As I say to my friends who don't have quite as complex a role as I do, I have no time to get bored and no day is the same since we started Broadway being closed. I have worked with 42 task forces that are all geared to bringing us back and also all of the normal standing committees of the league. So uh, it's quite a time, and it's busy, sometimes heartbreaking, and sometimes exciting. Sure. And we will obviously uh, talk about the, the shutdown and everything that this year has brought down on Broadway. But stepping back from all that, would you mind first just telling us a bit about how the league originally came to be and and what its purpose is and how that's involved to what it does in a business-as-usual time today. The Broadway League is the trade association representing commercial theater, not only in New York, but around the country. We were actually founded over 80 years ago by a group of New York theater owners who wanted to get together to create a multi-employer bargaining unit so that each individual didn't have to negotiate their contracts with each union. It was formed for that reason and the second reason, uh, fighting fraudulent ticket brokers. And what's interesting is we're still doing those two things, though we certainly do a great deal more than that. Are those still the primary benefits in your eyes or is something else 
taken over by this point? Oh, goodness, no. Those were just the first two. Certainly, one of the main things that we do is to negotiate the 17 union contracts that are in effect on Broadway. But we also do uh, branding of Broadway through our marketing and uh, digital departments. We do all of the research for Broadway. So when I say we're responsible for 97,000 jobs, that comes from all of our research. We do things like audience development programs and audience engagement programs. For example, we do Broadway Bridges, which is a program that uh, I'm very proud of. And the goal is to have every New York City high school student see a Broadway show before they graduate. Well, that's 70,000 kids. We just finished our third year and served over 45,000 New York City high school students so far. Then we do the Jimmy Awards, which is commonly called the the Tonys for Teens. We also are co-partners with the American Theater Wing, and we co-produce the Tony Awards each season. We also do conferences and professional development, many types of things like creating internships, and fellowships for our many committees. I mean, we have 10 standing committees that address many of these issues. For example, a very, very busy committee this year has been our equity, diversity, and inclusion committee. But we also have nine other standing committees. Right. When people look at an organization like the National Football League, or the American Medical Association, we operate in similar fashion. Our mission is to protect the business of Broadway. We do all of the government relations and governmental affairs work at the city, state, and federal level. We have a legislative council that is made up of members from every state where we have a member, and they keep us informed on both positive and challenging things going on in their cities and their states. So we work with them to help them lobby and educate their elected officials. Right. And this this might be a bit of a Sophie's Choice question, but do you have any particular favorite parts of the job or is it all, is, is the whole picture exciting to you? Well, the whole picture is certainly exciting because no day's ever the same. But I would say I'm a people person. It's a good thing I'm not using that looking for a job because everybody hates to hear that. But one of my favorite things is sitting down with new members and talking about what the league does and talking with them about their history and how they got involved in theater and then getting them involved in the league because the league is only as good as the involvement of our members. So that's one of my favorite things. We are made up of such a unique blend of characters that make up this thing called Broadway. And I love getting to know what brought people to the Broadway area. Your personal story is that you came to um, Broadway, uh, or at least to the league, 14 years ago after a very, very successful career in the hotel and hospitality business. Could you tell us a bit about how your career in that industry prepared you um, for your role at the league and what inspired the move? What drew you over to the arts from from that similar in some ways, but ultimately different business? We both have perishable inventory. That ticket you didn't sell last night will never be sold again. That room you didn't sell last night will never be sold again. Both businesses have a strong basis in giving customer service and in marketing and 
revenue management because Broadway and the hotel business have peaks and valleys. So it's it's very similar in many ways. Uh, what most people didn't know about me when I joined the league is that they called me Broadway Charlotte when I was in the hotel business. <laughs> I started my business in catering and events, and I hired Broadway performers for virtually every event that Lowe's Hotels did. I brought in the talent because my philosophy along with John Tisch's philosophy, was that the hotel business was really a part of the entertainment business. And if it is, then we should surprise and delight. So I fell in love with Broadway when I was in high school. And I'm the luckiest person you know, because I got to take my avocation and make it my vocation. Absolutely. The characteristics that probably brought me to the search company that uh, came after me for this role is that I had actually chaired three national trade associations and had been involved in associations since I was 22 years old. And I've been on the board of, an officer of, or chair of an association since 22 because I believe associations are one of the greatest gifts that this country has because you get the sum total of the parts and you can create magic when you get everybody rowing in the same direction for a common cause. That's another good point. Presumably, with that many different parties, it's impossible to please everyone. So how do you, how do you try? What are the common interests that you found amongst all of those people? For the most part, they all love Broadway. And you were right. There are many different interests but at the end of the day, people want to be heard. And I count myself as a very good listener. I think I learned that from being in sales and catering in the early stages of my hotel career. As long as you listen and explain what you can and can't do to help them, and if it makes sense, you work on developing their ideas and you get other members to join in and you work on building consensus on those ideas. And I'll give a perfect example. About 10 years ago, there was an article in the Times about film and television getting tax incentives, but theater didn't get them. And a member called me and I said, you know, I was thinking the same thing. Why isn't theater uh, able to get tax incentives? We're very similar. I put together a committee. We started working on it. And six years later, we had a tax incentive for producers on Broadway. And we all listened and we made it happen. I can truthfully say I do not please everybody all the time, but I try really hard to listen and give credibility and serious thought to their needs and what they want. And now it's been 14 years um, at the league for you. What's What's been the biggest thing that you've learned over that time about the theatre industry that perhaps you wish you knew back on day one? What's been the biggest uh, learning curve? I thought I knew Broadway pretty well. I was on NYC and Co's executive committee with my predecessor, Jed Bernstein. And we often talked about his role. And I thought I understood Broadway and the league. And I thought of Broadway as a big brand made up of big companies with large budgets. And what I've learned is it's actually primarily made up of a lot of small entrepreneurial businesses with people who have a passion for theater 
that is unlike any other passion I've ever seen. I mean, history has shown that in the last 60 years, and that's as far back as our records go, that one out of five shows recoup on their investment. And in a great year, one out of four shows recoups their investment. And yet I've only met one producer who thought their show was not going to recoup its investment. So that's people who fall in love with their product and believe that they're going to be the one out of five that makes it. And that makes for very interesting people. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. (gasps) No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So that's the league, and that's you. I want to talk a bit about the times we're living in right now and, and what your role has been this year. There's t- obviously two issues to talk about here. The, the first one I want to cover is um, the reckoning we've seen on race and racism this year, sort of all over the country and all over the world. But there have been some very specific things focused on Broadway's very white-centric history. What do you see the league's role as being in terms of addressing those issues? Well, the League is not an organization that can mandate anything except exact things for our leadership. But what we can do is communicate and navigate. And while the League has pretty strong history for the last 12 years, I would say, in developing EDI initiatives for our members and with the outside world, There's no question the times have got to change, and I think we are beginning to make a difference, and I think we will continue to make a difference. What I can say absolutely and with complete transparency is I've never seen a time in which our industry has been so coalesced around one idea, and that idea is that we have to change and we will change. And the League has already done a number of things just since uh, the Black Lives Matter began that are in addition to the 19 programs we were already doing. But we have just begun, and we're working with the Black Theater Coalition, the Black Advocacy Coalition, and Black Theater United, along with many others, to figure out what we can do together to ensure that 10 years from now, we do not look the same. And I believe we won't. I believe there is a common spirit of we must change and let's get to it. Absolutely. Yeah. And I know one of the things that the League has said publicly is that internally, you're, you're mandating a, a certain number of BIPOC board members um, and making progress towards that next year. Do you think that's at the heart of any solution to this problem, making sure that the leadership changes and then everything else will hopefully trickle down from there? There's more to be done at every level. We have offices. They're small in most cases. I mean, you have Disney and Schubert and Niederlander that have offices that are a bit bigger, but there's not a lot of room for a lot of people. And as Everyone who works on Broadway understands in order to hire new people. I mean, you have to lose people and people don't leave Broadway unless they die. And I I say that with tongue in cheek a little bit, but it's very true. 
So we have to work with the unions, our colleagues, the greatest theatrical employees in the world. And we have to ensure that we get more people within the 14 unions that can be hired by the productions. We, the league, have got to find more people of color to join the league that fit the criteria. Virtually every person that fits the criteria at the league, we had involved in a committee, which is a way you work toward becoming a board member. But we have to have more of those. And one of many of the initiatives we have and had been uh, doing before the Black Lives Matters movement is developing future workers for Broadway in the BIPOC arena, whether it was through fellowships or through internships or through career development or through audience engagement. For example, I mentioned Broadway Bridges, our high school program that I'm proud of, but part of that is an introduction to the careers available on Broadway. And when you look at the makeup of the Department of Education in New York City, it's very, very diverse in and who goes to public schools in New York. And we're introducing careers to them in high school and doing speakers bureaus to talk about various careers. And we even developed a website called careers.broadway. And it gives uh, detailed information and interviews with over 80 professions on Broadway. So all of the things that we've been doing, we have to do more of. And over time, I think you will see the complexion of Broadway change. But it's got to be with everyone working on Broadway, with the 14 unions, with our offices, and our vendors, and the league itself. And we've worked hard to be representative. We have several BIPOC directors and managers at the league, and we have to continue to be a model for our offices to show that we're not just using words, but that we're actually living up to those words. I mean, actions do speak louder than words. They certainly do. Speaking of which, let's talk about something else that's all too relevant, unfortunately, at the time that we're speaking, which for the benefit of those listening is October 2020. When, Charlotte, did you first hear about COVID-19? And what was your sense at that time of if or how it might disrupt things on Broadway? Well, I naively and stupidly thought when it landed in Seattle, that it was something that's not going to be coming to New York. And of course, two months later, we are hit as heavily as we could possibly be hit. And we were the first group out on March 12th, and will most likely be the last group in. So I heard of it that way. Uh, it, it was just something that was in China that had managed to make it to Seattle because of people from China traveling to Seattle, but clearly uh, underestimated how that could impact New York and the country for that matter. Yeah, I think everybody did. I mean, it's, it's, the word unprecedented is so sort of so boring at this point, isn't it? But it's it's also so true. It's also the perfect way to describe it. 
the league obviously is unbelievably busy during this time. You mentioned that, was it 46 committees that you're running? It's actually 42, but probably by the time we're opening, it will be 46. Yes, I'm sure. Really, those committees uh, are, are looking at both keeping everyone's head above water right now, as well as the eventual look towards reopening. What's been the most time-consuming item on your personal to-do list over the past six months? What have you spent the most time doing? Certainly the most important area are the protocols and what Broadway will look like and how we will change to reopen. And as you see every day, you think you know something and a week later, they find out something new. And we've got many task forces working on the protocols for everything that we do. Directors and choreographers have different needs than actors who have different needs than ushers. Then we have nine marketing task forces that are working on the comeback. We set those up when we thought we were opening in the summer. So some of them now have been put on hiatus until we get closer to opening. But we have been working since March 13th, the day after we closed at the federal and state level with our elected officials to work on getting uh, governmental relief for the workers and for our members. Broadway is responsible for 97,000 jobs in New York. And every time I have to announce another delay in our curtains rising, I hurt for 97,000 people, as do our members. Uh, We've been lobbying for and signing on to bills for the workers, including those bills that would give extended unemployment insurance, subsidized COBRA, and pension reform. And we signed on to every one of the union bills that made sense for us to sign on. But we've been working very diligently for relief for our members, because after all, until we get our productions back up and back in the theater, all of those jobs won't be back. So we have to get our productions back on stage, which is why we're so proud of the Save Our Stages bill, which is a bipartisan bill that both benefits for-profit and not-for-profit members across the country. And it's Chuck Schumer, Senator Blunt, Senator Cornyn from Texas, Senator Kobachar are the four main senators who have signed on to this bill. And it will not only help our members and venues to get back open, but if we get the way it is currently written, it will help our shows stay open while they're undoubtedly losing a great deal of money so that we can keep people employed. Theatergoers will begin to learn that it's safe to come back to theater. And then after about six months, hopefully, we will have enough uh, word of mouth that it's safe to come back and nobody got sick. So then we can go back to hopefully operating as we always did. You talk about the league's role as representatives for our government officials at federal and state levels, and you named a few there who were behind the Save Our Stages bill. I wondered what sense do you get of where on the priority list the arts are for government officials? I know that's a big question a lot of people have right now, is, is it doesn't feel like a lot of attention or enough attention even is being paid to this industry that's really in a crisis. I mean, those officials obviously have a lot of other things going on and, and it's it's entirely 
accurate that they have more pressing things happening. But how how have you found their responsiveness to the pleas for help from the arts industry? Well, I think what they're doing privately and what they're doing publicly, at least based on our experience, is a bit different. Certainly, the Save Our Stages bipartisan bill is what I call a miracle because you don't see many bipartisan bills in our Congress today. But this one is, and it's in the bill that passed the House several weeks ago. And Senator Schumer just launched a small business bill, Heroes Small Business Lifeline, I think is what it's called. And the Save Our Stages bill is also in that. And I think one of the reasons why it is being supported by both parties and by so many people is because it is about jobs. It's about putting people back to work. And it's about people who've lost virtually everything. Most of our members, except for the nonprofits, have lost 90% or 100% of their revenue. Some of the nonprofits still get their subscription and donations and grants, but they're still hurting. Both sides of the aisle have been educated about the number of jobs we represent. And in many cases, the number of jobs in critical areas, for example, in the 200 cities where we have a Broadway series, many of those members are in center cities where they need jobs and they're filling the restaurants and the parking garages and the hotels in downtown areas. And there's not a lot of businesses doing that. And that makes the arts that much more important. I think it is well known that many Republicans, for example, supposedly don't support the arts. And yet we've had very strong support from both the Republicans and the Democrats because they recognize the jobs area. Everyone is working on different aspects of governmental relief. Uh, whether initially it was all about health and PPE and taking care of keeping people alive. They're still working on those things, but they're also now working on trying to get people back to work. And I think that's why we're finally getting the public attention that we should have been getting all along. Right. And you also spoke a few minutes ago about the rolling date announcements for the shutdown period. At the time we were recording, it's currently confirmed through the end of May 2021. But you've also been very clear that that doesn't necessarily mean we will be open again in June. What metrics is the league using at the moment, whether they're health metrics or just you know conversational ones with, with officials, to decide when the right time is to announce each new extension and what the new closed until date should be each time. How are you calculating that? Well, we're working with the state who will have to allow us to come back. We're working with our producers and theater owners about what they're comfortable about doing. We did announce uh, exchanges and refunds through May 30th. And while many of our producers and theater owners believe that we probably won't be back until September, we cannot tell them they can't come back. The state can, but there may very well be some shows that come back in the summer if the protocols are in the right place. If a production can come back 
in a socially distanced manner and still manage to make it, we can't stop them and nor would we try. The reason we haven't socially distanced and done things before now is it doesn't make financial sense. The last thing we can do is get the theater open and then close it two weeks later because that show may never return. Now, we have to get support from the state. But I think we will keep working with the state, with our producers and theater owners, and looking at what the protocols need to be in order to open. Right now, we believe we have to have a very aggressive rapid testing protocol for the cast and crew because there's no way they can be separated or wear a mask. And we know that there'll be more contactless services, probably different ingress and regress into the theater. And we're looking at every single touch point where a theater goer or cast member or employee is in contact with one another and with the audience. And we're working on developing protocols with the state and with our own infectious disease specialist that we've hired in order to make those decisions. But we don't have a crystal ball. Things that we thought three months ago are no longer valid. And I'm hoping that as more and more tests are done and more and more scientific things are uncovered, that we will know things that actually are real and that we can begin to act on and develop. Another thing that Broadway's really had to get on board with uh, during all of this um, is digital content and the alternative ways to stay in front of their fans and top of mind. I talked to a lot of my guests even before COVID began about the move towards digital and streaming and theatre. And usually it's about how slow that seems to be going. But in these last six months, it's been a hugely accelerated timeline on that front. Do you think the events of this year and I include things like the release of Hamilton on Disney Plus when I say that, do you think they, they might change the attitudes of producers towards being more open to recording and streaming shows in a more sort of turnkey way? I think that's on a case-by-case basis. Hamilton has the financial stability that very few shows are blessed with, and they made a movie, basically. Streaming is not something that works financially with the current union contracts that we have. And unless the show has enormous financial resources, it's, it would be very difficult for them to stream. A smaller show without a lot of people, maybe. Uh, I think the one thing that is changing, that it's changing slowly, are the attitudes of producers that when I walked in the door said, we will never put our Broadway shows on TV. And we weren't using streaming in those days because you don't get the magic of the live performance. And after all, Broadway and live performances are the one form of entertainment that has continued to grow throughout recessions and crises throughout the last 50 years. And we were growing dramatically before the shutdown. So the financial model doesn't work for 90 plus percent of the productions. If that model were to change and we'd have to break the model and start over, then who knows? Because there have been some really terrific movies and live streamed events in the last couple of years. I mean, the Newsies show that Disney did was very successful. And, you know, we may be coming up 
to that, but it will require significant changes in our union agreements. Right. Ultimately, too expensive to pre-build into an agreement for every show as things stand now. Correct. Another thing that's, uh, that coronavirus has put a stop to in this year's theatre timeline are the Tony Awards, um, on their original schedule at least. The Tonys, as you said earlier, being presented by the League and the American Theatre Wing. They are now happening digitally at a date to be announced soon. Nominations are out. My question to you is, what can we expect from this year's ceremony? Is it purely a, a celebration of a difficult year to sort of lift spirits? Or will that also be another platform being used to highlight the industry's strife right now for those who do tune into that digital broadcast? I don't envision that it will be heavily geared to talking about the industry's strife. Uh, the Tonys are meant to be a celebration of the excellence in theater, and Lord knows we have great excellence in our theaters. Uh, the concepts are being developed. Every day, our producers are working on ideas, and they'll think they've got one that works and then realize it doesn't work. I mean, we don't have a, a large budget to pull this off, in addition to there being no ticket sales and no license fee to do this. The league has not received any revenue and the wing has not received any revenue. So we're having to do this in a quality basis that will require a lot of cooperation by a lot of people. I have no doubt it will be a celebration of excellence. While there are only 18 shows that were eligible, there were a lot of great shows. Given that shows that come back on the other side of this are essentially starting from scratch in terms of their advanced sales, and on top of that, they're going to have the hurdle of public confidence, is the public reporting of grosses for every show still likely to be expected of them when they come back? Or could that be something that's put on hold until there's real recovery and those figures, frankly, don't just point to sort of, you know, how terrifying this all is? For sure, there won't be a reporting of grosses for any partial season. Our records go back quite a bit, quite far, and they include a whole season. So until we have a whole season, you won't be looking at grosses. And right. I can't say at this point whether if we started with a whole season next June 1 or September 1, if we would immediately report grosses. Those will be things we discuss and determine when we're about to open. And what we do know now is that all the shows that we're on are unlikely to be able to start up again on the same date. That reopening is going to be a process over a number of months rather than a on this day, everything is switched back on again. And at least some of the shows that were around prior to the closure are now, you know, some of the, the smaller plays and that kind of thing are unlikely to be able to return. What do you think the key will be then to restoring? public faith in theatre going just as an activity? What's the plan to assure ticket buyers uh, that theatres are a safe place to be again? Well, I think that's what the, our nine task forces in marketing are all working on. And we have the top marketers in the business and some that aren't even just in our business working with us to develop the messaging and the strategies to bring us back. We know that Broadway is a beloved art form. We know that there's an enormous amount of pent-up demand. I think what we will have to demonstrate is that 
we have taken safety and security of every single person in mind. I've never done an interview, and Lord knows I have done over a 100 since we shut down. Every one of them, I say, as much as we would like to return tomorrow or yesterday, we will not return until we are assured that the cast, the crew, and the audience is safe based on everything we are being told by the smartest scientists and medical professionals that there are. As we know from all of the research we do, the most important reason people come to see a specific Broadway show is word of mouth. And we know that, or I should say, we suspect that when we open the doors, every theater will not be full. So what we have to provide is safety and security so that people feel like they were taken care of. Then when they don't get sick, they'll tell their friends, I felt safe. It's a week later and I have no symptoms. So it must be that the protocols that have been developed are working. We know that at this point, all but three of the shows that were running or about to run are still planning to come back. And with a buildup of those shows returning, we won't have to fill 41 theaters on the day we open. So hopefully that pinup demand coupled with the number of shows that are there will help us get through this period of uncertainty. I don't know that it will take months to bring people back, but certainly they're not all opening on the same night. So that may actually help us come back more carefully and more successfully. When we talk about Broadway's recovery, colloquially, we, we talk a lot about Broadway coming back better than ever. I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind finishing by talking about what better than ever means to you personally and what you think fundamentally will be better about Broadway having got through the pandemic. In 2001, I saw a spirit of the city come back that was better than ever. The New Yorkers were nicer. The theater was better and more appreciative of the business. The restaurants were happier to have you. I think that same thing will happen. I think we will have a renewed sense of joy that we can get back to something that we all love, which is theater, that fills our souls, that is escape if your life is hard or work is hard, that creates a sense of well-being. We know that the arts do that for us. They've done it for 4,000 years, and they're not going to stop doing it. So I think we will be back better than ever because we will have never been closed for this long, and there'll be so much pent-up demand. But I also think we will have taken into consideration the issues of Black Lives Matter, and I think you'll see the beginnings of change that everybody will be happy about. I think you'll see a more aligned community who have worked through this struggle together and who better understand each other's struggles. And I look at the lineup of the shows that are coming next year, and I know a lot that nobody else knows, and I think it's going to be a phenomenal year. Charlotte St. Martin of the Broadway League, and you can find out more about the League's work at broadwayleague.com. My thanks for select questions in this interview go to Christopher Bartlett-Walford, Jackie Lavanway, and Andrew Lowy. 
Putting It Together is produced by Dory Berenstein and Alan Seals for the Broadway Podcast Network. Our theme music is by Eulis Bacan, and artwork and editing is by me, Ollie Southgate. You can find me on Twitter, I'm at Ollie Southie, or take a look at my website, ollysouthgate.com. In both cases, my name is spelled with an I-E, not a Y. I'll be back on the first Friday of next month, that's Friday, December 4th, when I'll be speaking to the New York Post columnist and author, Michael Riedel. But until then, thanks as always for listening, and goodbye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.